Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora everyone, welcome back to another episode of The One Up Project. Today I have Lauren Fong on the pod. Lauren works as an investment principal for Icehouse Ventures and is the Archangels Manager, which is a fund that exclusively invests in female-led startups. And in addition to this, she is a self-managed electronic DJ and producer. So this episode is going to be so good. I love hearing about the, the combo of passions. So Lauren, how are you? Kia ora, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I am so excited to be here. I'm such a fan of this podcast. Thank uh, you. So thank you for having me. And it's Friday. I'm in such a good mood and I th- feel like we have so much to talk about. Amazing. Yes, yeah. I, I actually do feel like we could go on. So let's let's get started. Could let's you tell it. us a little bit about the two main things that I just spoke about, but the two main things you have going on week to week? So the first would be working at Ice House Ventures, supporting women founders. And that looks like through investing, um, through a fund that I'm raising right now, and then also just like scouting and searching for amazing startups, mainly tech startups that have female leadership in them. So that's the first thing. And working in the Ice House Ventures team, I get to see... I get the privilege of seeing incredible uh, tech startups across New Zealand, um, amazing ideas coming up and, you know, how how we can invest or support uh, our founders. And then the second key thing is I'm an electronic uh, producer and DJ, so I make and play trap music. Uh, That's the genre that I sit in. And right now I'm working towards releasing an EP in August. Um, I'm playing a, a couple of uh, winter festivals next week, so I'm really excited about awesome. that. So it's really full on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it sounds extremely busy. And I often find that people who have seemingly contrasting interests can draw parallels between the two. Do you find that this is the case for you between DJing and supporting women-founded startups? Definitely. So I've been DJing for over six years now and it's a very male-dominated industry. Um, When I started though it was more male-dominated so I think there are about five women DJs in the entire country including myself. Now there's a lot more, it's amazing but you know we still have a lot more work to do. My job here transitioning to my day job, um, seeing you know, the lack of women founders come through or get funding, um, you know, there's just there's just a huge parallel that you can see. Um, two male-dominated industries historically have been the decisions or um, the power have been in men mm-hmm. or um, they've sort of gone ahead a lot quicker or they don't have the same challenges that women face. So when, I, when I'm DJing, like, I felt like I'm getting scrutinised on what I look like. So, like, what, what am I wearing? Not just my music. Like, mm. there's just more to say and with uh venture capital well globally three percent of all startup funding went to women-led companies last year and the year before three percent so not even double digits which is terrible uh so my job here in Aotearoa is to 
um, you know, combat this challenge and make funding more accessible for women. So breaking down those barriers, the biases, the challenge, the challenges that they face, um, and yeah, just making sure that it's a more equitable place. And I would love to see that in the music industry too. So things that I do is like collaborating with other uh, women artists. Um, the vocalists on my tracks um, so far have all been women, which I'm really excited about. Mm. Um, not saying it's just exclusive to that, but I make a concerted effort to give them an opportunity. Why not? Mm. Um, and, yeah, just connect and make them feel empowered the same way I make or try and make uh, startup founders that are women feel empowered as well. Mm. Amazing. I, I love it. It's so clear that you have a very strong passion for supporting women in both industries. Do you think that this, does that come from any kind of experience, I guess, you've had personally? I mean, you touched on how you have experienced this within DJing, but I guess is there an example of a time that switched your mind into thinking this is what it, you want to focus on? I think inherently, like my whole life, I've always just been an advocate for this. Like I've always wanted to support my friends who are women, um, my family members, and I've, I've watched them become incredible influencers and leaders and the most, uh, yeah, like incredible people in my life. Mm-hmm. And so naturally this passion and this responsibility comes, comes to me. Like it's, um, you know, I live and breathe it. But I would say, yeah, a turning point would be entering the music industry in New Zealand, realising there was a lack of sort of support around me um, from other women. Um, at one point, it wasn't that great, but I was actually like bullied by um, someone in the in the industry, and I didn't really have anyone to go to. And, and now it's it's totally different. Like I have a couple of mentors, and um, there's a lot of support. But yeah, it, it was mainly feeling, I, I guess, a bit of that isolation before starting Ice South Ventures. When I first saw the job description, and it said you'll be helping women founders, you'll be raising this fund, you'll be managing this angel network that exclusively invests in women. I thought, wow, like. This speaks to me. This is my calling. You've spoken about females being quite severely disadvantaged in the capital raising space. Yes. Which I think for those who aren't familiar with terms like capital raise essentially just means getting money to fund your business. That's correct. Simple terms. Um, And that this is due to that unconscious bias. What is that unconscious bias? And as women, do you think there's anything we can do to mitigate that? Yeah, great question. So... I'll explain what unconscious bias is to start with. So we see unconscious bias when women are asked prevention questions versus promotion questions when asking for funding. So there was this Harvard and Columbia study um, that was done and it reported that 66% of women-founded ventures were asked these prevention questions versus the male-founded ventures were asked promotion questions. And prevention questions focused on potential losses and promotion questions were focused on gains and um, women were asked prevention and the male were asked uh, promotional ones. So an example of a prevention question would be, um, you know, how will you prevent your startup from failure or what will you do to protect yourself from uh, competitors? Mm-hmm. And so that never really gave op- like the opportunity for a founder to like, talk up the company or say anything positive because they were constantly having to dodge these like daggers, I suppose. So that's yeah. literally how it's been described to me from um, a founder who's experienced it. And then promotional questions that were commonly asked to males were things like, what does success look like in 10 years' time? What are your ambitions, your long-term ambitions and milestones and goals? Or what's your ultimate exit strategy? And... You know, the result of that was that 
the male founder ventures went on to raise five times more funding than those women founder ventures. And I'll just add, despite getting funded less, women actually are 35% more capital efficient. So they do more with less money. Mm. So the, I guess, ironic thing is that, um, yeah, they're not getting funded as much, but they are actually more successful when it comes to returns and they're better with their spending. So financially, it makes sense to invest in women, but unfortunately, there is unconscious bias that exists. Um, and in the study, it even showed that women VCs or investors were also asking these prevention questions. And so right. it's really important that we are aware of this. And I guess I can get to that later about how we can come about um, yeah, combating that unconscious bias. Yeah, mm. yeah. I actually read something similar to that, or I read a book kind of outlining some of these issues. Um, it's called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, who was okay. the CEO of, I want to say... Google and then Facebook and yeah she also spoke about how women in executive roles or top leadership roles can often see this unconscious bias from other women and it's it's something that's a part of it which is quite interesting because you wouldn't think so but so important to highlight those challenges and I think thinking, so important yeah yeah and thinking about your career as a self-managed artist as well I'm interested to know if you've faced that unconscious bias um, within that space and as you said before you know there's, you've seen some isolation and had the, a bullying experience which is terrible how have you sort of managed that within your careers building your own brand around who you are as an artist yeah um wow I mean that's a it's a really good question for me to reflect on I suppose um like in a really healthy way like how have I pushed th- like I guess it's pushing through so it wasn't great when yeah, someone bullied me. They went online and sort of said something kind of awful and it got taken down very quickly, but it also damaged my reputation for that mm. period of time. And also um, my fear was that it would stick in people's minds. Mm. What this person had written about me, which was all untrue, but I don't know, I think, yeah, there was some miscommunication. I'm not sure. I took the experience as, look, people are going to either support me because they love my music and they think I'm a good DJ and they believe in me, or they won't. And you just got, you have to accept that. Also, the ones that truly know me will know that what's written online is not true and that, you know, they can come and support me. And I did have a couple of people say, hey, like, I, I know this isn't true, but you should, like, look what's happening. And that's kind of how I found out. So being a self-managed artist, like, you you don't have a team. Like, you don't have a manager that tells you what to do. Uh, you don't have an agent who, like, helps you with things. There's a lot of support that you could have if you were perhaps signed with a label or, yeah. A manager, you really have to do it on your own. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad thing. I mean, the upside is that you have all the rights to everything and you own everything and you can make your um, autonomous decisions um, and have full control. However, it's just really time-consuming and a lot of support. So I think circling back, I'm grateful to be in this position. I would like a like a bit more support on the side of where, what to do next. Like I'm trying to work it out every day, like what I should do, like – should I release this release this particular song? Um, should I do an EP? Should I wait? Should I do? Should I work towards an album? It's yeah, it's really interesting. Like every single day, there's always some sort of decision making that has to be involved. And because I've been in this industry for six years now, I've had to hustle my way through. Like that's probably the biggest takeaway. I was all I had to. You have to constantly upsell yourself, and it, it's really interesting because mm. in New Zealand, we've got tall poppy syndrome, and we 
have a tendency to downplay our successes or yeah our brand or personal brand and like things like that but I had to go to promoters and say my music is great like I'm a great DJ like you should book me for xyz reason so before I had a booking agent which I have now before that I would you know be messaging or um emailing just cold cold all cold cold emailing and cold messaging promoters and festival owners saying hey will you please book me for your festival for your get for this gig you know you had had to talk yourself up and I think that totally goes against this like embedded cultural mindset that we have as Kiwis that we sort of downplay our successes or our wins and I had to be like look I'm I've done this I've done this and like highlight highlight my wins and I still do that to this day sort of on a different level I suppose as I kind of have grown into being a self-managed musician versus like just a DJ starting out and that's that same mindset or mentality of just hustle back yourself um talk yourself up sorry that's a bit of a vent but um, I love it I haven't really reflected on that in a while so um seems quite I enjoyed that it's I mean, I, I don't intend for it to sound stressful. It might sound stressful as it comes out because there's so much going on, but it's really important to enjoy the process. And I do. Like, mm. I love performing live. I mean, it's like a euphoric moment that a one-hour set feels like it's been five minutes because it's just, like, there's so much adrenaline going through my body. It's the most incredible thing ever. You work so hard to get to, you know, getting on stage in front of a live crowd and then just they're screaming and they might be screaming my name or sing along to a song and like that is the most fulfilling rewarding feeling in the world so whilst there might be a bit of stress leading up to it the reward is you know amazing and just unparalleled yeah what does sit at the core of that love for DJing I fell in love with Skrillex and like listening to dubstep when I was 16 but I didn't like touch a pair of decks or like you know get DJing until I was 20 but now like today like what gets me out of bed to do it is yeah it's making a song like something that I've literally just made in my bedroom and then polishing it up with a sound engineer making it sound you know playable and nice um, on, on a big sound system and then getting on stage at a festival and having these people just light, lighting up their faces by playing a playing a, a trap set or an electronic set, and I'm a, I'm very much like an energy based person, so like I feed off the energy of a crowd. So if I kind of have like a zombie crowd that like aren't really doing much and they're just kind of going with it, I'm like, oh, you know, I need a bit more. But if I've got a crowd that's like, especially the front row that are really into it and they're really vocal and loud, like hear, hear them screaming and everything, like I just it makes me just like pop off like I'm I'm pure hype it doesn't matter what time of day this like my set time is like I'm just all for it. I give it my all and then they kind of give it their all and so we just like feed off each other it's amazing yeah and so that feeling is so incredible and it, like I said my one hour slot goes by so fast I'm like what it's been an hour already because I'm just having so much fun I get off stage and I'm like wow that was incredible and I would do it again <laughs> that sounds like an experience I need to have in my life <laughs> yes, everyone everyone needs it, but I think everyone gets it in different ways. Like yeah. I, I'm a surfer, and every time I ride a wave, I still I get an adrenaline rush. I mean, it's it's different to the way I, like when I'm performing, but it's a um it's still that that wave of energy that's so vibrant and uplifting, and you know everyone gets it from different things, and so it doesn't have to be something as crazy as like being on stage and with lights and a crowd screaming at you. You touched on something earlier around tall poppy syndrome and how it's hard to. 
I guess just talk yourself up when you're trying to sell yourself or, exactly. you know, yeah, get across your value. And I definitely struggle with doing this a lot. And sometimes I'll even avoid situations where I have to do it, which I, I don't want to do. But you're amazing. Um, you shouldn't have to. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, you should be talking about your wins and successes and celebrating it because mm. I think as Ki- Kiwis, we don't celebrate our wins enough. If anything, we're like, oh, no, no, like mm. we downplay it. But you should be, yeah, you should be um talking about it yeah thank you no I I agree like I I definitely should be and it's as you've sort of spoken about one of those things that you have to push through and overcome in order I guess to become a lot more comfortable and probably learn so much more about yourself as well in order to feel secure in the value that you're communicating that you have and confident in that yes you definitely do Honestly, if if I wasn't a musician or, or an artist or a DJ, I probably wouldn't know how to overcome tall puppy syndrome. Like it taught me to do that just naturally through the way I had to message people and sell myself. And yeah, it felt unnatural at first, but I thought I would have given them a reason to book me. So yeah. there's hundreds of other DJs hitting them up for gigs and opportunities. I've got to make myself stand out. So what can I say and do? And so that kind of that mechanism or that process just helped me get through it. I also sort of translate, I guess, that mindset into my, yeah, my job as, as an investor and supporting women as well. Like when I first started, I was very new to the venture capital industry. I didn't have any experience in investments or yeah, VC or anything like this. So um, similarly, I had to just talk my, like, you know, just tell investors like why they should invest with us or believe in me and, and the mission of Archangel supporting women. Very, very similar. So I'm glad that I have that because, um, yeah, it can be pretty hard otherwise. Yeah. What would you say, like, are there any specific tips or things that you would, pieces of advice maybe that you would give to other people around building a solid brand for themselves? Yes. So building a great reputation and having recognition I I believe that I have have done that um you know over the years it didn't didn't come overnight but content is really important like relatable and interesting content and so I'll touch on both worlds I suppose so we'll start off with venture capital so I started writing blogs uh just medium blogs and I shared them on LinkedIn and to be honest I for like six months, I thought no one read them. Like I, I didn't until I went to some networking events. And I said, "Oh my gosh, are you Lauren? I, I love your blog." Like, oh I was wow. like, wait, "I was like, what? You read them?" Like, <laughs> I was like, "I thought only my mum read them, yeah. but thanks." Um, and the blogs, like, so it, it was advice someone gave me before I wrote these blogs. I was two months into um this industry into into my job and and someone who works in the industry said hey Lauren like you know if you're new and you're looking to build your brand and get really get out there get your name out there you should write I'm saying oh no 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 like I'm I'm not a writer like that's not my thing like it's if anything I kind of cringed I was like oh my gosh I can't imagine writing a blog that's just um it's just not me and Mm. I'm not really good at writing so thanks for the tip but probably won't do it and then I just gave it some more thought and I thought why not so the first blog I wrote was called my first five months working in VC so it was like it was it was easy like I could just say it was personal um hopefully relatable to the reader and I could just say literally how I felt in my first five months working in VC and the experiences and all the lessons I'd learned and then after that well most of my blogs are sort of centered around women so I've done like a profile piece on Kim Kardashian and why she's an amazing global billionaire and businesswoman and did one on Whitney Wolf, her, the founder of Bumble, also a, 
a founder who's based across the road who's um, making a power system f- for small satellites in space. Shout out to Fia Jones at Asterix. So, and then also just like, you know, why you should invest in a woman and, and things like that. And I don't release them every month. It's kind of every few months, but people have come to me saying, you know, I really enjoyed your blogs. And again, I'm, I'm still a little bit shocked that people still read them. I got re- LinkedIn recognised me as one of New Zealand's top gender equity voices like top they picked like top 10 gender equity voices and sort of awarded me that which was really cool and mm-hmm. I, n- I never thought I would do something like that so yeah I mean content is just really important and then relating to my uh, music life being present on social media so having like videos pictures videos of me DJing at my sets messaging around like you know where, where I'm playing next, like when I'm releasing a song, like hyping people up, like getting getting my fans really engaged. Like you've got to, you've always got to feed them something, a piece of content that's really exciting so that they'll remain engaged and remain a fan, I suppose. The cadence and frequency is important. You've got to do it regularly. So if you have the time, that's really good. If not, perhaps get some support. Like right now I've got someone kind of helping me with my social media for music as I kind of cool. grow and get a bit busier. And make sure it's relatable. That's That's probably my biggest piece of advice is relatable content because you want the reader to feel something when they read it Mm, yeah definitely I think it's so interesting that you'd mentioned you started a blog because it is one of those things that a lot of people who label themselves as not good at writing are like oh I I could never do that and but then I, I think it becomes a thing where you're like oh it's not actually about how good you are at writing it's about what you've just mentioned which is how you making people feel when they read it yes yes that's my goal and I want I think through my blogs I want to inspire other people I want to mm-hmm. inspire young women who are at school maybe um who are looking at entering entrepreneurship I want them to read about this 21 year old who's like you know launched her prototype in space with rocket lab you know I want them to be inspired I want them to read about these global billionaires um who are women doing exceptional things but perhaps don't get same credit that other sort of male uh, CEOs do, like Zuckerberg or mm. whatnot. And I also want to literally, you know, uh, share my thoughts and my messages from the sort of two years that I've been working in this industry and everything that I've learned and I've, how I've watched it grow and change um, since I started and all the great, amazing things about it because New Zealand is a hub and a hotspot for startups coming out of here they're just some incredible intelligent talent here and I just can't wait to you know see the see the future of it growing yeah Mm. I think that from a personal brand perspective things like sharing content and creating content whether or not you have a business or something else you're doing on the side it's always so valuable to share your experiences one because it always helps other people but two because I think it gives others an insight into the type of person you are before they meet you and it it can kind of create relationships or connections that maybe wouldn't have otherwise happened because someone didn't get that insight into your experience or yeah what you've been doing so there's probably lots of people like you mentioned that person that read your blog that you know you thought only your mum read it there's probably (laughs) many more like that who have read it and feel connected to you Um, and what you're doing I hope so yeah definitely yeah yeah and uh, yeah I guess one thing I'll add about yeah content I used to release content and think you know this is easy it's digestible that's it Mm. but the more real you make it then people yeah you evoke some sort of emotion in someone and then they are more likely to 
follow up or just remain engaged and I've made a concerted effort to even like on this podcast right now this is technically a piece of content you know I've, I've just decided that from now on I'm going to be re- very real you know um, I've had many journalists and kind of other interviewers ask me questions and I, I remember sort of holding back a little bit because I thought you know do I want that to be out there like and mm. um, I don't do I want to be 100% vulnerable but from now on yeah I've made a promise to myself that I'm going to be 100% vulnerable on platforms like this because I feel so privileged and lucky to have the opportunity to be on this podcast and have a platform and have a voice so why not be as raw and as vulnerable and real as possible because the chances are someone else listening might relate to that versus just scratching the surface Mm, yeah I completely agree there's so much power and vulnerability and we need as many voices as possible because Mm. I can do a million podcasts on my own but that's only going to resonate with a certain group of people whereas having someone like yourself on is going to resonate with someone who may not have ever connected with anything I've ever said. So it's so, so important. Uh, Thinking about that from a capital raising perspective as well, from what you have seen in your career, do you think there are any themes that make people successful versus not? The founders that I love and have done well, like what are some common patterns amongst them? And that would be they are risk takers. You need to be a risk taker when you are a founder and when you are kicking off a capital raise and you've You've got to be really confident and believe in your business because to raise capital, you've got to go out to investors and sell your business. So you've got to be prepared and you've got to say why. You've got to create conviction about why this investor should drop $100,000 into your business. So having that ambition and tenacity and confidence is really important and also having an appetite for risk as well because launching a startup or just being involved in a startup is possibly the the bravest thing someone can ever do in their life and I have so much admiration for any founder that's I guess a trait I suppose and then yeah with capital raising it's important to know your numbers know your facts be really prepared don't go in there without knowing your plan like have your roadmap and always um yeah, always, always have a response, I suppose, to um, any kind of tricky questions that might come your way. Hustling and really believing in your business. If you have that intrinsically in you, then you, you can communicate that across to investors. And they're investing in the founder. Like, the way I see it is that we're investing in the founder who's going to go and then execute the idea versus just investing in the idea. So mm-hmm. you might love the idea, but it's like, is the founder good enough or does, does he or she have what it takes to make the idea come to life and execute on that? Really just, yeah, seeing those traits are really important. I always smile when people talk about taking risks because there's uh, two themes I've always said that the guests on the podcast have always spoken about. And the first one is to always take risks and the second one is to always be curious and have a curious mind. I love that as an individual towards other people and towards yourself and I think that the theme carries through in so many things as you've just mentioned which is cool. I also read somewhere where you had been asked a question about balance and balancing music and managing the Archangels Fund and I can 100% (laughs) relate to... This is like a question I ask myself every day. Yeah, I know. know. And it's actually, it's a question I also get sometimes. I work full-time as well, run this podcast and if someone asks me about balance now I just say I don't. Like, I actually just don't balance it. And it seems like both of your interests give you energy, but how do you how do you personally keep that awareness of when you need to reset or, I guess, reshuffle priorities? Like, I'm always checking in on my well-being and, like, what my 
if I'm giving space for like sort of my personal mental health and well-being. So that's how I know when I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I haven't done anything for my own well-being, then that's when I know that I'm doing too much and that the balance is you know, going off, it's, 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 it's too much and I need to sort of reset or recharge or take a, take a break. Mm. So it's interesting when you say that, when you get asked the question, you say, I don't, like I, you don't have one or you don't, you know, the balance. And I can really relate with that. And this is me going back to the whole vulnerability thing because I used mm. to say on previous interviews, I, I used to just say, oh, you know, like I, I try and find ways to balance it. I have a schedule, I just stick to it. And you know what, Those are, that's true, that is very true. But I think... One other layer to that is that also um, there are times where it's just crazy. Like I've just released a song. There's so much I need to do. There's like outreach, publicity, um, social media, live gigs. It's, it doesn't stop. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, I'm trying to raise $20 million for um, this fund that will invest into women. I've got um, work events. Um yeah, and I'm, I'm literally racing between the two. Like, my mind is racing between the two. I physically am running between events and um, jumping all over the show. And when I talked to sort of a mentor about it, she said, so tell me what you did in the last week for your own well-being and your headspace. And I said, nothing. Like, I just I just told you my week. Like, there's no room for that. And she said, but Lauren, like, you won't be productive and you, your output will decrease if you don't allow time for that. So next time, like, try and go for a walk or like literally something that simple do some meditation just like make some room take a bath and something as simple as taking a bath like just made me feel like revitalized again and that's that sounds crazy because I think for you know commonly people just take baths and they think about it for me I was like oh my gosh I'm actively taking a bath to actively give me space to like actively uh increase my well-being and and make that a more positive uh part of my life so basically if your well-being and your headspace is in a good position then I think you are better set up for balancing these two these two worlds um that's how I try and see it. yeah but I will mention you can't have it all like that's just something that I've, I've learned like I love to surf I love to play basketball I love to horse ride I also love to just see my friends and my family do trips away but I had to I have to give up a lot of that in order to focus on my music career and then also pour energy and time into my my day job as, as an investment principal at ISAS Ventures and, and Archangel. So you do have to sacrifice if you want to live a double life, which is essentially what I do, then that's kind of, yeah, what you have to do. But I mean, I do get enjoyment from it and I do still fit in surfing and basketball and all those other things. Mm. It's fine. I just don't get to do it as much as I had hoped to, but that's okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm very much the same, and it seems like you're. You mentioned before you're quite aware of energy if you're on stage and what the energy of the crowd is, and I guess that might be similar for your own energy and working out. <laughs> yeah, you know when you need to, like, what's giving you energy or what's taking it away at that time. Uh, like for me, the podcast is something that always gives me energy, but there are definitely times where I'm like, I need to take a break from this, or uh, my mind is going to run around in circles, and I'm going to be so stressed out about it, and awareness is so key but obviously quite difficult to get to as well so I love your answer and I completely agree thank you so much for jumping on today Lauren it's been a privilege to talk to you in all honesty like I've really enjoyed chatting to someone who has the the two loves and the two things going on and um, I've enjoyed hearing all of your answers and just thank you for your time it's really appreciated thank you so much Sarah Um, 
I I feel like I'm the one sitting in the privileged seat right now. Um, <laughs> like, thank you for giving me a voice and an opportunity to share my story. And I hope that um, whoever's listening will take something away from this. If you have two passions or even just one passion, doesn't matter. You know how to juggle it and, you know, just enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's really important. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute honour. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.